Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Rod Miller. How are you doing, Rod? I'm doing great. Good to see you, Tyler. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. You are the president and CEO of the CPHR uh, Alberta. So let's yeah. before we before we dive into this amazing conversation that I know we're bound to have, tell us a little bit about the CPHR, your role, and then let's get into it. Yeah, sure. No, that's great. So it's just a pleasure to be here today. I mean, I love this. This is There's so much that we're going to get to talk about. It gets me really excited and jazzed up. So I, uh, as the president and CEO, represent the uh, the HR profession here in Alberta and uh, across Nunavut and Northwest Territory. So we have a very large geography. We have about 6,000 members of uh, HR professionals and HR practitioners that are currently immersed in uh, lots of interesting challenges and opportunities within the HR function, which we're going to dig into today. I also uh, work um, with CPHR Canada, we're a federated model, so we belong to uh, a larger association as well, too. And so I chair the competency framework uh, update that we're doing around our designation. And so there's a lot of really interesting things coming out of that that really align to what is uh, we're all going through from uh, from a change of profession and a change of the skills and the competencies required to navigate what we used to call the future of work, but it's really what I would say is work now. And and so there's lots of great stuff we're going to talk about today. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Awesome. No, I'm uh, so curious. Just give me context. So HR professional 6,000, is that everything from people who lurk in large, like enterprise, the big kind of super majors all the way down to like, I do my own consulting and I'm a single shingle and I help consult organizations. Is it right across the board? Yeah, yeah. So right at the core of what we do um, is in the work that we do is really the the professional designation called the CPHR designation. So chartered professionals in human resources. And so we are the registrar for that within those three areas of the country, Alberta, Northwest Territories and Nunavut. So core to that is also competencies around HR practice and the profession. And what I often say to people is that HR really is as broad as it is deep. There's so much within the function. And when we think about the experiences of the last 14 to 15 months, this is really come to bear, like everything around, you know, talent acquisition to onboarding, to talent management, to development of leadership, uh, exiting employees, uh, reskilling employees, all that sits within benefits, all that sits within the HR function. So the HR profession has really been brought to bear as we've navigated, you know, the last 15 months of uncertainty. And uh, at the core of that is the standards of HR. And that's what exists within the professional designation. So a real highlight around the value that that provides to organizations today. So it's small to medium-sized businesses, it's large businesses, it's consultancies, uh, it's consultants, and uh, it's individuals who are junior in their career that are just starting off to individuals that are, you know, sitting in the CPO or the CHRO chair of organizations. So really diverse membership. Okay. I appreciate that. I, I really like the just, it's sometimes it's easy and I, I, I maybe I'll get slapped by some of my friends who work in HR for saying this to minimize and go, Oh, it's just HR. But like you said, it involves so many aspects of the organization from education yeah. to benefits, to 
your day to life, let alone like, you know, your interaction at work feeling and let yeah. alone the last 15 months of feeling isolated, feeling connected. Like we are just a bunch of humans having a messy experience. And the last 15 months yeah. has been a bit, is a bit more messy than the prior 15. So when it comes to the last 15 months, uh, would be, would be silly to think that your what you do in the role of your 6,000 members hasn't evolved. But for a lot of companies I've heard like, well, you know, digital transformation, like we did it like five years and five months, like things accelerated so much, which in some, I would say was forced, but maybe was a good thing when it comes to HR. Mm -hmm. Has, have you seen that same kind of shift in terms of like, well, we were on a path to playing a bigger role, but man, over the last 15 months, things have really accelerated how we're even seen or the impact we can have. We, the proverbial, we as that membership group inside organizations. Yeah, that's such a great question, Tyler. And uh, the word I often use is is catalyst. And so, from a so my first degree is in zoology, so I have a little bit of a chemistry background. What a catalyst is is an agent that actually takes a couple of elements and accelerates a, a process to change into something new. And so, a catalyst is something that redefines things. You can't go backwards, and that's the thing that we're at, that we've experienced over the last fourteen or fifteen months is that we've been talking a lot about the future of work and what that looks like for organizations, but we've not really moved into action at that point in time. And one of the things that was in the way of that uh, was how, what, does future, what does work look like as we emerge into this kind of new future based on these digital constructs that we have? And so what the pandemic did was actually force us into moving into that future of work today. We needed it then, like 15 months ago, to really begin to navigate what was an uncertain environment. So out of that has become this kind of construct of redefining and reimagining what work would look like. What was in the way was the elements of trust and fear, that, particularly from the core element of working at home or working remotely. So now we are in a position where we've actually been able to prove quite substantially that working at home, and it brings all of its own challenges and opportunities, but working at home or working remotely can be done. So we've accelerated ourselves into the future of work to what I would define as work now. It's, it's, this is no longer about the future that we talked about three or four years ago. This is about today. And so what do we do as organizations today to begin to reimagine what work can look like? What are the constructs of work today that we need to move into the future. What are the things that we need to let go of that no longer serve organizations? What's changed with the employee and the employer contract around work is also something that we need to consider because the traditional constructs of work that we've all been used to and defined don't necessarily serve the future or serve the employee or serve the employer. So there's the, 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 the pandemic, what it has really done is accelerated us into the future, which is here today. And that's the opportunity that exists for organizations is begin to navigate that future. Ooh, that's exciting and overwhelming all at the same time, right? Totally. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. Totally One half is. of me is excited. The other half is shuddering a little bit. So just curious, <laughs> do, you, do you guys have a campaign out called work now? Cause I don't know. I'm a marketer. So I've been hearing that. No, I'm taking it. I'm taking yeah, it. please. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's hyphen now. I'm not sure. It's not like work now. It's not like that. It could be, you gotta be careful how that's misdrew. Yeah. I get my graphic. Yeah, yeah, that come social post before we even get off the air. No, I love it. Right. There um, we go. So <laughs> I am going to, I really like what you said. And let's be honest, we are breaking away from a remnant of the industrial age where this is a hundred yep. year old model of, I don't see you cause you gotta be on a machine. You gotta punch up, you know, we've all like the old like lineups and the black and white. 
so much has evolved, but yet man, we should, we're so slow to change our beliefs. Technology is not slow, but how we believe, like you said, if we didn't have the technology, we wouldn't have been able to. I can't imagine going into this five years ago as a knowledge worker. I think my business would have been crippled if we, you know, so, but yet the beliefs are still from 30 years or like, I don't even know, maybe a hundred years ago from the, those old black and white reels. So when you start to define, and of course you are my resident expert right now, you know that, right? So I'm going to start asking you to define this work now concept. And, you know, I understood you said social contracts. So if you were going to define not the future of work, but where we've kind of arrived, if we needed to write it out as a bit of a profile, how would you like, what are some of the real key characteristics, you know, and you don't have to order them. It can be, be in any order. And you touched yeah. on a lot of them. Well, how do we start defining the now version of work now that this 15 month reset has, ha has happened or it's still yeah. happening? It's still happening, yeah. unfortunately. You know, I think what it's, so the first thing is what it's highlighted is that there are things that work and there are things that don't work. And so it's really as an organization identifying what is working for you uh, to really maximize the value of your human capital. So if we, if we take a look at where we've come from, and you mentioned this, so we've moved from an industrial age, uh, we've had work constructs around it, you know, the nine to five, Monday to Friday, all that stuff, unions and all those things. And those, there's some of those things are still really important. But what it's really done is it's opened up the opportunity to say, well, what can we, how can we reimagine what work looks like for us? And at the core of it is the transition of value creation. So value creation is no longer about um, buying buildings or, or infrastructure, capital infrastructure. It's really about human capital. It's about investing in your employees to maximize their engagement and productivity. And it's the only asset that really is quite dynamic. And it's also quite individualized. So I mentioned earlier in my comment around the importance of the employee and the employer contract changing. What the pandemic has done for us is highlighted the importance of that individualized work. So what's important to me as an employee when I think about working for an organization is a couple of things that employers need to begin to think about. First of all, the, the one thing is why do we exist? What are we doing as an employer to serve our community? What is our purpose? Those type of things have become really important to not only the employer, but also to the employee when they're thinking about investing their time, their resources, their own human capital, their intellect into contributing to an organization. So that's going to redefine uh, that employer-employer contract. So the more individualized we can we can you know, make work for people while still remaining connected, and that's another challenge because the, the pandemic environment has really challenged us around that, the more we can individualize work, the more we can help people feel like they belong to our organization and that they can be their true selves within that organization, that leads, we know it, because the, the literature is bearing this. We know that that leads to greater engagement, which leads to greater productivity, which leads to greater retention, which all leads to greater value creation. And that's, I think, the, the huge opportunity to start with this really big elephant is let's focus on engaging our employees into the organization as we see ourselves going into the future and who we're here to serve. If we can begin to do that and start to be open and flexible, and we've started. One of the outcomes of the, of the pandemic was this need for employees to have flexible work. And it doesn't work everywhere and it doesn't work for every job, but there needs to be conversations about what does work look like for me today to contribute to that employer that I work for, what's valuable to me. And at the core of that, we know there are really two things. The core of it is purpose. I have experienced um, a traumatic event in society and continue to navigate the pandemic 
for many people, that's highlighted the importance of what their own purpose is and what they want to do to contribute to the world. We're hearing stories of people redefining their their careers because they want to pursue something that they haven't done before and they know it's time now to do it. We've had people say, it's time for me to launch my business. It's a crazy time to do it, but I'm going to launch because I'm passionate about something. What's really underlying all that is purpose, is my own purpose in the world and then aligning myself with an organization where I see that connection. And often that connection is based on values. So do my values that have been highlighted through the pandemic, and I understand more as an employee, do my values align with the employer? And can I be my true self in that organization and that organization address my personal needs? That's kind of, to me, what's emerged out of the pandemic. And that's the opportunity for us to begin to to really capitalize on and leverage. So out of that, it's interesting, out of that comes the uh, the misalignment with some of the constructs that exist. So let's take, for example, the basic construct of nine to five or eight to four. So that is there because that's what's there. And it's been there because of the industrial age. That doesn't necessarily serve people anymore. What people want is the flexibility. Think about it. People have been thrown into remote environments, virtual environments, working from home, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, we have this full integration, like full immersion and integration of work and life. And people are trying to navigate this. And I shared with some folks yesterday that, you know, this experience of the pandemic is quite individualized. Everybody has their own experience that they've gone through and they've identified out of this what's important. Maybe it's time with my kids or maybe I got to, you know, take care of a loved one or I got to figure out how to work at home because my spouse is also there and my partner's there. And so I got all these things that are going on, but it's a highly individualized approach. So as as organizations, we need to move away from the blanket vanilla model of here's how we treat our employees to thinking about, well, you know, what's really important to you as an individual? And and in that is also this, this concept of how does leadership change? Because leadership itself is a construct. We have leadership models that have served us in the past, but may not serve us well in the future. And what we're finding is the emergence of what we used to define as, as soft skills as becoming the real essential skills of leadership in this environment around engaging, developing people uh, productively in a remote and virtual world. So I think the constructs of work need to be looked at and we need to look at what serves us and what doesn't as an organization and then moving forward into taking a planned approach, but a stepwise approach to doing some things that can help get us down that path. Rod, you, you you covered a lot of ground. I have so many questions. Know, sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm just thinking about it. I'm trying to unpack the whole thing. And like a couple of things that really came out for me, you know, and we joke about this in our world. You, there's no need to say digital market anymore. Just say marketing. It's like, there's no reason to say work life anymore. It's just called life. So I, I kind of heard that as one thing that yeah. kind of came out for me of like, you yeah. right. We just, we slammed it all together. It was, yeah. I think like a lot of things in COVID, we were slight, we were going that way, but COVID was an accelerant for that type of behavior. Yeah. But what I'm also hearing, and which I, I, I like, but I also feel like full the weight of it, even as an employer, uh, the level of individualization that's required and how challenging that is for a lot of organizations is that it feels like it almost puts smaller organizations at an advantage because you can have one-to-one conversations a lot easier. If you've got 5,000 employees, it's very difficult. Like it's it, There's a reason why those constructs stayed in place because, well, that's the way it works and we do it and it's generally accepted by society. So just thinking with size of organizations or even what you're seeing, is this an advantage? Uh, and I've heard this from other guests talking about even technology or data that smaller to midsize actually have a bit more of an advantage because they have a closer relationship with their people, with their data, with their customers than large organizations that just arguably aren't uh, uh, 
aren't as agile or able to pivot kind of as quickly and maybe stuck with the construct because it's one of a hundred constructs, which one do we change when they're all up for debate? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, that's a great point. And I, and I think that's the challenge because it's, it's, do you, do you, do you go boating in the speedboat or do you go boating in the Titanic? And so we know one is easier to turn than the other, but you know, both are still on the water. And I think that's the challenge for organizations. And, and from, I think from my perspective, what it comes down to is really defining, you know, who you are as an organization and, and the purpose you have and, and, and who you serve uh, with your organization. And, and clearly, Smaller organizations uh, may, and I'm sure this will be something we'll look at a couple of years from now, may prove to have the advantage because people are looking for the flexibility. Uh, people are looking for the accommodation of life today. And so um, we have, and going back to the comment earlier, we have proven that that actually can work. It's harder for bigger organizations. There's no question, because what does that look like, right? I mean, we have to reimagine all of that. For a smaller organization of 10 to 12 people or whatever it might be in terms of the size where, you know, the, the CEO or the president or the owner or whoever is visible and seen, right? That, that's, that's a very different environment. But people are craving that. People are craving that, uh, that change to what is important for me as an employee because I'm now going to be giving my time to you. I'm going to be giving my, my human capital, my knowledge, my experience to you. And I want to do it to serve me and to serve the greater good. It's very clear. And that's not necessarily a demographic thing either. Um, we do know that, okay. that very much yeah. with the millennial generation, that that's, that's important. But I think what the pandemic has really served to do is highlight the importance of values and purpose across the board. Uh, and so I think that's an interesting thing for us to look at. How do we, how do we capitalize on that going forward? I think that's interesting. The whole, you know, I don't want to say blame the millennials, but there's a lot, I've been in a lot of those conversations, which I don't have much time for. Like, oh, it's this group is like that. But then I started hearing like, well, yeah, but this other group has millennial like tendencies now because mm -hmm. we've all been, uh, there's been a universal leveler of our need to connect as I reach for my phone. That's never more than arms reach away. Like, you know, whether you're a millennial or whatever other generation kind of qualifier we need, we're all functioning kind of similar in the terms of how we connect, where we get our information from. It's a lot yeah. more homogenized than I think, but you're right. Buckets and, 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 categories, that's a pretty easy construct for me to put things in, even though it's probably not serving me as well as, it, as I think it is. It's, it's, it's the, the, the illusion of a framework giving you, giving you freedom and peace, which no, it, it often does not. Uh, you know, I appreciate funny, the comment. Funny, yeah, it's ahead. funny, Tyler, because I, um, <laughs> I just have to share with you that uh, a number of years ago, probably a decade ago, I had the opportunity to do some uh, teaching at, at a number of post-secondaries here in Calgary. And it, it was a time when the millennials were just kind of beginning to really um, graduate and move into the workforce. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself and clearly thinking, Man, this is a this is a generation that is going to really change the way we work, particularly when they start getting into leadership leadership roles, right. and we're starting to see that now. And I think what we're seeing is a leveling up of of uh, of what work looks like, driven a lot by what what that generation wanted. Um, but the challenge is, is that you're right. It's it's throughout the it's throughout the workforce. It's not necessarily yeah. limited to to a generation. It's really prevalent across, and uh, it's a, it's a level setting of what the future of work is looking like today. I think it does speak a little bit to the, you know, COVID was a shared experience. It wasn't a generational experience. It wasn't age, you know, related. Maybe it started off that way, but very quickly, like, no, everybody can get this and we're all vulnerable. Like I've had a lot of guests been like, when have we all been brought to our knees together? <laughs> you know, yeah. generations, yeah. geographies, global, like this isn't, a, this, isn't, this isn't a problem on the other side of the world, which is, I think, maybe what we all thought in the first news reports. You know, I was in a meeting the week before with some very senior 
very informed leaders. And nobody in that room was like, no, no, it's not, we're, this is not going to be a problem. Within a week, it was a problem. <laughs> you know, th- there's something to be said for just the speed and the shock factor of how quick that, quick that came on. Yeah, the all the all in together is in I think a really important concept because we continue to be in it, right? Yes. And so we're all we're all in this together trying to navigate it. And and I'm not hearing anymore about, you know, demographic things or differences in age and things like that or perceptions. What I'm hearing to your point is that this is a lived experience for the generation, whatever that looks like, the time generation, not the not the demographic generation. Right. And I think that that's something that is important for us to not lose sight of is to what it, what is the learnings off of this that we need to take forward for 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 us as humanity, really, quite honestly, because it, it affects us in so many parts of our lives. From a human capital perspective and like the most valuable resources, what's the old joke? Your most valuable resource leaves every day and then you need to make sure that they mm-hmm. come back the next day. I can only imagine that there's going to be also some huge shifting of people and moving around of roles. We've already seen some some people resign in our organization to go to other opportunities. And arguably, I can only imagine that's going to be compounded by, well, I haven't been able to kind of change anything in my life. It's been kind of stuck for the last year. Boom, I need some change. But I can only imagine the organizations that are slow to take this seriously, the philosophy that you're putting forward, the penalty will be loss of that human capital. I can only imagine that there is an exodus or a a movement because where one person leaves one place, they go to another place. So there still is that. But as we create more roles, that that talent, that arms race for talent to me only feels like it's going to be heightened and there's going to be more like there's going to be more quivers in, 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 in in the bow to to stand out from that employer branding perspective, like mm-hmm. positive mm-hmm. or negative going forward. So I'm assuming, are you already seeing some of those trends where companies are slow and they're being penalized by people putting up their hand and self-selecting? Hmm. Yeah. So that's it. There's so much in that, uh, Tyler there, there let's, let's take a look at, at the experience itself. And so I know from personal experience that there's been some organizations that have moved people back into the office before these new restrictions came down and people are saying, I don't want that. I, I don't want that. So, there's already this element of disconnection of the human capital that exists within the organization and looking for new opportunities. And, you know, what's interesting is the literature is also saying this from a survey perspective, when you, when you engage with some of the big, the big consulting firms, anywhere from kind of 40 to 45% turnover rate is expected overall as we move, as we move through this and, and, um, and exit what the pandemic would look like whenever. Uh, and that's really related to that values alignment that I, I spoke to before and that alignment to purpose. A um, lot of reflection, and I've, and I've used this term uh, a lot in my conversations and presentations with people, is it's been an awakening and an, for employees, but it also needs to be an awakening for the employers that there is a potential brain drain that could occur here. And one of the factors that we're not considering yet that we need to consider is the talent pool and how the talent pool has changed. So as we've moved to this virtual remote environment where we're now effectively working online without borders, whether those borders be time or geography, we're working integrated without borders, is that opens up a talent pool in two ways. One, for employers to seek talent outside of what would be their geographical location, right? So we can really go to the market now and the market is out there. Uh, That's one. The other one, though, is that it opens up a talent pool for the employees to tap into. So now employees are saying, hmm, I don't have to work downtown Calgary. I don't have to work downtown Edmonton. I can work from home. But even further than that is I can work for anybody anywhere. 
if it fits with me and it fits with my lifestyle and fits with what I want. So all of a sudden there's this potential shift in balance around, uh, around the pool itself in terms of who can work where that is changing the way that we're looking at, at, at talent management and, and talent acquisition. That's an important conversation to have because what comes up then is competitiveness. And if you're wanting to attract uh, the right skills, you need to be able to attract them from really anywhere in the world. And we're seeing the, the, the increase of global teams now where teams are composed of not just people in a, in an office downtown, but people are composed. Teams are composed of people from anywhere around the world that have the skill sets needed for an organization to meet what is a challenge, right? So these teams then come together, they get the job done, and then they disband it. So that brings up concepts around the gig economy and part-time work around skill sets. So if I have a very well-defined and specialized skill set that an organization needs in today's world, I can market that out. So that also kind of feeds to that potential brain drain challenge that we're facing and, and reskilling and redeployment of talent. And, and it's an opportunity, but it's also a bit of a threat as well too for organizations. I saw an ad and there's, there's many out there. It's just the one I happened to see it was an agency that I followed in Toronto and they had an ad, they were recruiting a couple of roles and their headline was live anywhere in the world and, but have, have the amazing experience of working with us from wherever. And that was yeah. literally the value proposition. And it, not that it's, you know, I'm sure there's lots of, I'm seeing lots of job postings where it's like remote or remote first, but I love, that's what they led with. Like it was the headline and I it caught, it, it caught, it caught my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly you are focused. This is like what we're talking about are very broad issues that I think could be almost applied to anywhere globally or certainly in mm-hmm. Canada or North America. Anything you're seeing or trends or realities that you're seeing specifically? Because we were a little bit back on our heels in Alberta before we went into this yeah. thing, maybe five, six years back on our heels. And we've got this amazing talent pool that maybe some of them have left the province. Anything that you're seeing? And of course, there is this way forward. I'm, I'm really excited about the post pandemic. I'm also very bullish on Alberta as we reskill and things come into play, whether whether it's other sources of energy, you know, hydrogen, lithium, or this amazing startup tech ecosystem that's really mm-hmm. starting to build here where mm-hmm. we're not trying to be Silicon Valley or what Kitchener Waterloo, we're actually starting to become our version of Calgary. But the but humans are at the root of I have a conversation with every person I have on the show about talent acquisition and can I get people to move here? So anything you're seeing that are maybe Alberta-based trends or or thoughts around oof, what's happening versus how we can, you know, be better? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a big one because we've kind of been in this um, for a number of years already, right? I think 2014 was kind of when it yep. really began, and, and then we're we're still challenged with, you know, energy prices that can still continue to not perform, although they're they've increased slightly over the last. They are better, bit. so let's not let's not they, overlook they that are, they have improved. They so I'm going to I'm going to choose to see the positive in that. <laughs> they, they are better. They are. There's no doubt that they are that they are better. Um, you know, we've had this reskilling conversation a lot in Calgary, and uh, it, it is a it's a it's a challenging one. Um, because it, it requires everybody to play an important role, whether you're industry, whether you're academia, or whether you're, you're government. And in my view on it is, you know, we need to reimagine education environments. We need to get away from the concept that, you know, you need to have, a, a, you know, a 24-month diploma or you need to have, you know, a four-year degree or a master's or whatever it might be to be successful. That, that, that model is, there's still a role for that model to play. I mean, I, I worked in post-secondary for quite some time and, that will always be there, but we need to reimagine what else could be there what, and what area can the post-secondary system serve to really support that skill transferability and that, and that connection between industry and education. Industry plays an important role, so it's identifying what the skills are that, that you need and, 
and challenging us locally to address that, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's the post-secondary system or taking on reskilling ourselves. I mean, I've heard stories of organizations that say, we're going to do it on our own. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to hire those essential skills that we need, which we talked about as the softer skills that have emerged into the essential category. And we're going to train technically. We're going to do that. That's going to be our role with industry. And that's, we've seen some great successes, particularly in the tech community around that. And then there's government. Government plays a very important role about incentivizing that, not, not necessarily developing programs or spending the money on that, but really giving organizations the incentive to do that work here in the province and certainly here in Calgary. So that that's credits and tax breaks and all those things. And I think that's that's a critical role for Calgary to play. And I know I know uh, Mary Moran and her team are all over this from the Calgary Economic Development perspective that, you know, Calgary needs to be a hotspot for 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 the investment. And we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing the in particular from the startup community. We've had a couple of unicorns. It's, mm-hmm. it's happening. And so it's really important for us to tell those stories, that those stories are there. We've seen a redesign of energy companies into something different, right? Because now they're focused on data collection or data analytics and things like that. So that work needs to continue, but but it's it's holistic work. And in that also is, is the employee who has the skills to advocate for transferability, but also to know how their skills can move to another sector to create value. So it's not just, so if employees are sitting there thinking, I'm gonna go back to what the oil industry was, that that's gonna be a block. If they say, okay. I need to take ownership of this, I need to engage in what the future looks like in terms of skill sets. I need to understand better what my skills are and how I can transfer those skills into another organization and then be their own self-advocate. That's critically important. You have to own that as a, as a, as an employee. You are your own best salesperson, right? Mm-hmm. But you've got to define the path and use the support structures that are there for you to do that. And we're hearing wonderful stories of people that are are going back to you know take a a, a, a short program to help reskill in a certain area, and then they're finding work. and And those are great. Those are great stories. We just have to make sure we give the environment that supports that, and and everybody plays an important role. Are you seeing, is everybody, and this is where I'm, I'm not trying to put you on this, is everybody pulling their weight? Because we've got post-secondary, we've got government. We know the government over the last year has pulled some funding. You know, there's organizations, you know, you made the comment about, you know, organizations knowing what roles they need in the future. Sometimes they, I don't think they do know. Like they yeah. can, like the crystal ball is only so good. I can only see so far. So in that triad, and I really love what you said about still, as individuals, we still have to own our own. We have, like that's your own resume and you can recreate it anytime and you can go and reskill it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stakeholders in that equation. All, all you know, it's more not a triangle, it's more of an octagon. I don't know how many corner corners we got, but there's yeah. quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think what's weighing us down is uh, what's weighing us down is the pandemic that continues to weigh us down uh, because there still is a lot of uncertainty in that, and we're, we navigate that. So when we think about even new changes that come from a public health perspective, that that, that requires organizational resources to navigate and implement. Right. So. It's, it's like, look, I, I, I see the pathway, but I'm having a hard time getting on the path because there's this big boulder in the way that happens to be the pandemic. And I got to get that out of the way first. So I think once we start seeing, you know, the vaccinations take hold and we start seeing that begin to happen and we see some more stability, because I think people are also, as organizations would, is uh, from an organizational perspective, it's, it's defining the strategic direction and mitigating the risk along the way. That pandemic is continuing to be risk, right? We need to figure out how to navigate that. 
it may become the new normal for a while and organizations are beginning to thrive within it and we're, we're seeing that happen. But every change requires re, uh, resources and focus to get us through what that change is going to be. So I think that weighs, uh, I think that weighs organizations down. It's certainly weighing the government down. The government has a responsibility. It's weighing down people. We're tired, right? We're all, we've all been in now COVID fatigue for a long time. We're all just continuing to try to figure out what's going to work for us as individuals and our families as we move through this. So I think we're all giving our best. The challenge I think right now is that pandemic continues to be a weight and a, and a, <laughs> and a boulder in the way of us getting you know, on the path yeah, no, going forward. You and I talked to that even before we push record, like no matter where you look and what angle you stand from, it's still there somehow and somehow yeah. sitting I just all of a sudden, and I hope this to be true. I do believe that all of a sudden it will be out of the way and then it'll be like, Oh, okay. Whoa. Now we need to make up for lost time. So, you know, how do we get ahead of that? And I think we all hope that would have already happened by now, but it's, it's coming. I'm going to be optimistic. I choose to be optimistic without being, you know, uh, fairy gunmothers and, Oh, it'll just disappear this rebound and this kind of pent up demand. I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity coming out of this. And what I'm hearing loud and clear is people are at the core of it. They always have been. It's just, if we're finally catching up and as organizations becoming aware of that, that therein lies the opportunity, right? Yeah. And I think what you've highlighted there is really important that uh, what, what the pandemic has highlighted, the experience of the pandemic has highlighted for us is the extreme value that sits within our people. And so in, in that also is the understanding that, it's also now the most liquid asset in an organization. And so that asset can leave. That asset can go somewhere else. That asset takes with it the knowledge, skills, and abilities that they've used to support that organization. So I think the one thing that I I would hope that we've all learned off of this is the importance of people and humanity that is within our organizations today that is worthy of investing in. Uh, Because that's not only a social good, it's an economic good. We're going to be better organizations for it and we're going to be a better society for it as well too. Yeah, I choose to, I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so we've talked endlessly about the value of people, the role that they play and how what they need to be successful and what they need to feel valued and feel actualized is changing. Let's talk about the role of HR professionals in that in that mix as these, because I'm hearing HR as a huge change agent in all this, because if it's all about mm-hmm. the people, well, by default, who's my people whisperer? You know, the old default, well, we'll go to HR. But I've also heard the old debate, and I've had this debate as well as a marketer, HR, cost center or profit center? Mm, which side of the balance sheet does it sit on? <laughs> so, you know, you, you certainly alluded to HR playing, like, by default, HR plays a big role because people are everything. Yeah. So yeah. I'm setting you up here a little bit because I might I might know which side of the balance sheet you're going to lean on with this one. But I've heard it mentioned among certain groups at times, you know, maybe sometimes with frustration. But is this just a non-negotiable now? Like, as organizations, we need to just get over it and really treat it like the profit center that it actually is? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm reflecting because I was on another call this morning, and um, you know, we, we talked about this about about the role of, of the HR professional. And so there's there's lots of little elements here that we can pull threads on. Certainly, the experience of the last 14, 15 months has highlighted that HR can create value. There's no question. HR can go through strategic change and lead organizations through strategic change. There's no question that that has been established um, as fact. And I, and I would certainly support that. Uh, however, what the challenge is, what continues to be the challenge, is does the HR professional have the knowledge, skills, competencies to be able to do this kind of work? Okay. So, um, you know, when we, so as, as professionals, not, so there's a distinction between professionals and practitioners in our world. So a professional is someone who holds the designation, which is 
nine functional areas of knowledge and 44 competencies that they bring to bear in, in the work that they do every single day. A practitioner could be someone who's on that who's on that pathway to designation or has chosen not to get designated. At the end of the day, as I said before, HR is as broad as it is deep. So it's trying to it's trying to figure out how do we capitalize on that as we move forward. But clearly what we've learned is that HR has been asked to come to the table and they've delivered for organizations because those organizations have have many have moved forward uh, into this new work now state and are leading change within those organizations. The challenge is for us is to ensure that the competencies of, of the profession so what we test in our designation, what we do in our professional development, does that resonate with what work now is, right? So I sh- I'll share with you that I, as part of um, CPHR Canada, I'm the chair of the working group on our competency framework update. And so what we've done over the last, it, it's interesting, we've done this actually started before the pandemic and we've been doing it for the last year, is taking a look at that competency profile to say, What's relevant? Like what's relevant to the future of the HR profession as it relates to what the work world needs and requires from us as a professional? And it's interesting, a couple of things have come to light in in the work that we've done around survey work and then engaging professionals and stakeholders across the country over the last year and a bit has been really three areas. And this is really interesting. Number one is related to does the HR professional understand the business and know how to create value in the business. That's that's one of them. The other one is, uh, does the um, HR professional understand and know how to uh, use data analytics in decision-making? So all of a sudden, data analytics and people analytics is, is becoming part of the competency profile. And then number three, which is the one that I love, because I'm a human-centered designer, I love the whole thought about human-centered design, is does the HR professional bring innovation, creativity, and agility to, the, to their role to help organizations, again, move forward and create value? So those new elements of the competency framework are going to come out as we update the framework um, coming out uh, in the future. So the HR professional has been brought to the table. We, we know that the competencies that exist there um, for the future are coming. They're there. They're part of the work that we do. It's now up to the HR professional to create that value within the within the organization. Um, I, I'll share with you an interesting conversation I had at the very beginning of the pandemic. And that was with the CEO who said to me, you know, Rod, I, I value what my HR team can do. I'm just not sure that they're, they know how to do it yet. So the the, the CEO in, I, in their I, I, mind- I appreciate that. I appreciate the right? depth of that. Right. I mean, that's huge. I can see us going, man, I, I, I need help, and, but I'm not sure my HR team. So that's our challenge as a profession is that we've been asked to step in. Now we need to be able to step up. And so that's where I think our profession is going to go is is taking and leveling up as we move into the the work now state is leveling up to that position to say, here's the continued value that we can create for organizations going forward as a profession. I really appreciate that. I have, I've had multiple conversations with post-secondary leaders in town and one of them specifically really called out what they were doing around micro-credentialing and trying to Mm -hmm. take an individual, understand what they did know and what they were good at and then fill in the gaps. And he said very clearly, one of the biggest roadblocks were some of the professional associations that were like, no, 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 to be accredited in our world. And there's obviously quite a few and you get into engineering and those, those, those skills that like, no, they were very at that time. And this was maybe even six months ago, were very reluctant to give up their frameworks of 
like, this is what a certified professional looks like. Mm-hmm. Yet mm-hmm. the school was saying, well, we're taking these individuals and looking at like out of the 10 things they need, seven of them, they had equivalencies in their other roles and that three we can reskill for, but yet they were still having challenges. And they, his comment was we're on the path, but everybody needs to get on board, which I really love that you laid out those three points because I heard, I heard tech, like literally like technology and data literacy, a level of innovation and crea- creation. That's not transactional. It's strategic mm-hmm. now. Yep. You're thinking yep. about a better way. Yeah. Very uh, true. And, and you guys, you, clearly that was already in the works for you. So again, COVID was an accelerant of something you guys were already working on. Exactly. I bet that, I bet that yep. moved right to the top of the party list in terms of innovations when you got really quickly. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we actually, as we were going through the process of, of looking at the competency framework saying, you know, what, what's, what's COVID teach us around this? And it became a highlight that part of this was, yeah, we're on the path because we talk about innovation and agility and we're living it every day as a, as a profession. And just so I'm going to apologize my ignorance and I show up on the show knowing nothing, I have to ask questions. Would I, would I then as a, as a human resources professional take that training with you or do you partner with different post-secondaries like to make it part of their kind of comprehensive program? Like how does that education get out to market? Yeah, that's a great point. So there's a variety of ways. And, and so let's take, for example, when you're, when you're on the pursuit of the, of the designation, let's say you want to get designated and get the CPHR designation. So we have uh, accredited programs uh, across accredited post-secondary programs across the province, where if you are in an accredited program, that accelerates you to the designation. Uh, so there's a pathway for that, right? So we work very closely with with all post-secondaries across the province around this, and uh, that's been very valuable for us because what we're also seeing out of this, Tyler, is that um, people are now choosing HR as a profession. So what's happened? historically in the past and not the recent past but you know years ago is that people would often get into hr just by happenstance or you know by an experience that they had and i want to pursue this now people are actually defining hr as their profession within the post-secondary by taking the programs so we have pathways that exist there for people to come through Uh, we also have a pathway where people can come from a background that's not hr and they can take the national knowledge exam and move into their candidacy candidacy phase and then pursue an experience validation um, over a couple of years and then, you know, apply for the designation. So it's very, it's very robust. And so there are a variety of ways for people to get into the, get into the profession, but clearly, you know, for us, that linkage back to post-secondary is important because we are seeing students who, who want to, uh, who want to pursue HR as their professional career. And so the other thing I want to share with you too, because you brought it up in the last comment was there is such a need to work, work together. Let's take that post-secondary example that you mentioned. And, you know, some of these bodies that are out there that are, um, that are associations, professional associations are regulated by the province, right? Under the Ministry of, of Labor and Immigration. So there's constructs there that are in place. And I know in working with the minister myself that, you know, those are being reviewed and looked at to allow, uh, to really support red tape reduction and, and to support immigration and labor, mo- labor mobilization. It really comes down to everybody working together to understand the ecosystem and identify what is in the way of us moving it forward and then working together to remove those barriers. It's not just one person it's, it's, or one organization. It's a multitude of stakeholders that have to get behind this. And that's inherently challenging. And you said the, mm-hmm. the, the the red tape word, which we're all familiar of in different scopes. Speed is not always conducive to what you just suggested. <laughs> but yet the need right now is so high that the yeah. demand state is at a 10 
And yet we're doing things the way we, like I've, and I've talked to some of my friends at SAID and they said, you know, we used to take 18 months to create a course and now we do it with consulting the industry, bringing in businesses, understanding in three to, in three to six months, three months, two months, 90 days, how quick can we spin it up? Just, you know, as those organizations are figuring out almost in real time what they actually need for skills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As they're trying and testing new things. It's so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this, it's, speed is the underpinning of all this and the willingness to get it as right as we can, but being okay to learn, like forgiving ourselves that we're like, I'm not going to know yet what I'm going to know a month from now. I just, I'm just not. <laughs> well, and I think that, that to me comes down to the iteration approach, right? Like it's, it's not about, yeah. it's not about just defining the problem and, and having the full solution. It's about, okay, where are we on that solution pathway? And let's, let's start, let's get it going because we are in a world now where, where talent is competitive. Um, whether that's incoming talent or outgoing talent. And so that speed function is critically important. And how do we mobilize speed to make sure that we are training and developing people to take on roles that are here today that we can fill, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, people could work at home uh, remotely for an international organization based out of Australia if they chose to today, because that, yeah. that whole world is now opening up. So that speed function is critical. I do love that as a, as a, as a value prop for Calgary in terms of net new migration. Like you want to move to a place with amazing mountains, amazing quality of life, reasonable cost of living and work for anyone anywhere in the world and not have to live in the Valley or live, you know, New York city or wherever the case may be. I think there's an exciting pitch there. And I've, we've seen some provinces, I think Nova Scotia did a big pitch on come live here and we'll give you this tax break with, you know, net new migration based on cost of living. And there's so many, like, again, this is opportunities hidden behind problems, hidden behind opportunities. (laughs) Well, I think so. That's I think the big point is to for us to kind of take stock of what are the opportunities that are there now. What what do we need to? So we're 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 kind of burdened by the pandemic and the continuation of that. But what are the merging opportunities? And I'm an Albertan. I'm, I'm born here. I spent time in Ontario as part of my career. And I think the one thing I love about Alberta and I love about Calgary is the is the entrepreneurial drive that we have as a city to meet these challenges head on and really begin to address them but we need to really do it together um and there's there's lots of stakeholders that are involved and so those stakeholders all have to come to the table and let's let's move forward together we could do a mic drop moment right there rod i think we're are you also seeing that are, are you seeing that happen i'm starting to hear it even on the show like people are talking differently there seems to be a momentum right now that's happening in Alberta. Even when I started the show two years ago, it was probably a little bit more negative where it feels, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking to the right people, which is again, when you go looking for people, the positive people, you tend to find them or, right. or, or the, or the vice versa. But are you seeing it? Cause obviously you're dealing with individuals that are in organizations that are literally in the trenches of this thing day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really beginning to see that, that unified approach to the, to these challenges. And I think, we're at a point now where we know that the environment continues to be uncertain. There is some certainty around the vaccines. We're beginning to see that. So that's helping with stability. And so there's this opportunity now to begin to enact changes and actions that are going to get us down the pathway because we're, we're dealing with what is maybe somewhat of a pathway coming forward. There's still challenges and we're still going to turn corners and stuff. But there is, I think, an emergence of hope that is happening. And I think out of that hope is, come, is, is, is action. And that's what's exciting is to see where we can be as a city with the different industries and sectors that we have here, where we can be you know, three or four years from now. And that, that to me is an exciting proposition. But I hear you loud and clear. Let's not. People are at the root of every single thing we talk about, or any t- future potential or change state. It is. It is the core, and I think that at that's the a, core, that is a reality we can't overlook. But, 
Uh, Rod, love your insights. I really, uh, one, clearly your passion for what you do. And I love when somebody's in their lane doing exactly what they love to do to create the change in the world that they want to see. And I certainly got that impression when chatting with you. What's Thank the you. best way for people to get a hold of you, get a hold of the organization? They're inspired. They want to get more involved. Oh man, there's there's so many ways. First and foremost, uh, link, LinkedIn is my way to connect with people. I, I've, that's my, my avenue. Um, you can also send me an email at rmiller at cphrab.ca. I'd love to connect. Um, check us out on the web. There's uh, avenues through our, our website, cphrab.ca. So check us out there. Lots of ways to connect. Use social. I'm on it all the time. Love to connect with anybody who wants to continue the conversation. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm assuming you guys are running probably virtual events, kind of like a steady stream, I imagine. Like if you want to get involved, there's probably lots of ways to like put your toe in really quickly. Yep. Yeah. We, uh, we run about, um, we have, well, last year, 2020, we ran a hundred virtual events. So just about two weeks that we ran, uh, we've engaged thousands of people in those events. And if people want to get involved or know more about the association or the designation, uh, reach out to us via the web or LinkedIn or any other avenue. We're easy to find. We'd love to have conversations about getting you engaged. I appreciate it. Rod, thanks so much. That was a great conversation. And yeah, you left me left me a little, a little more optimistic than we started, which is always, is, is always a great way to be. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I really enjoyed it.